everyone. You are listening to Diverse Roots, a podcast all about the unique career journeys in science and medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Cassie Briggs, and in each episode, I'm joined by a successful professional who shares their career journey, lessons learned, and advice for aspiring scientists like yourself. So whether you're on your commute, working out, or doing some chores, prepare to be inspired. Joel Betts is a stream ecologist, naturalist, and conservationist dedicated to restoring and conserving forests and fish in the Great Lakes and abroad. Currently, Joel is an MAEAP coordinator for Kent Conservation District. That stands for the Michigan Agricultural Environmental Assurance Coordinator. If you don't know what that is, you're not alone. It's a career in conservation few people even know exists, but it's worth knowing. And Joel shares the inside scoop in this episode. Before working for the KCD, Joel was an adjunct professor in Michigan, conservation planner in Massachusetts, conservation associate and researcher in Nicaragua, and a field technician in Alaska, Michigan, and Puerto Rico. Given that resume, it's probably not surprising that we cover a lot of important topics, but here are a few that might be particularly interesting to you. The challenges and rewards of researching abroad, the hidden benefits of attending a college where a bachelor's is the terminal degree, and Joel reveals the one college course that could make or break your job application in conservation. So without further ado, let's welcome Joel to the show. Hello, Joel. Welcome to the podcast. It's so good to have you on. Hi, Cassie. How are you? Doing great. So our listeners, I am so excited for them to hear this episode. And just to give them some background, I met you when you were my graduate teaching assistant at Michigan State. And you were by far one of the best teaching assistants I've ever worked with in my career. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm really excited to highlight your career story, especially because you've done some really cool research abroad. And so just to open up their eyes to those opportunities, I'm excited to dive in. Yeah, for sure. Excited to share. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. So before we do that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So professionally, I am a stream ecologist and conservation practitioner. That's what I say. So I'm trained in the study of rivers and all things living in rivers and their habitat. But I also do a lot of work beyond that in conservation in general, supporting conservation projects. And that's where I see myself continuing. And that's where my passion lies. Myself, you know, in general, though, I I would call myself a, a nature nerd, a naturalist, someone who loves to be outside, someone who loves food and loves to produce and and hunt and gather and garden my own food. You know, that's a big part of my identity as well. And I'm a Michigander through and through. I love Michigan, love being here, love this place. So those are some things that I would identify myself as. I love it. Conservation in career and life. So let's go back in time to your childhood. Do you remember the first thing you wanted to be growing up? Yeah. So but I remember when I was like four, I was like, I want to be an archaeologist for dinosaurs because I loved dinosaurs. But not that long after that, maybe when I was like seven or eight, maybe 10, definitely by 10, I was decided I wanted to be a fisheries biologist for the DNR, which honestly is not that far off from what I ended up in. And that's kind of crazy. But I loved fishing. I was obsessed with fishing. I still fish pretty often, a couple times a month. But I grew up fishing and was obsessed with it and thought, you know, there's a way I could 
work with fish my whole life, that'd be sweet. So Michigan Department of Natural Resources, fisheries biologist, maybe someday. That is so funny because that is about the same age that my husband decided that he wanted to be a fish biologist for the DNR. Right. And he is. Yeah. So there's something about that early exposure that just gets you hooked. And so that's one thing I hope this podcast brings people is just that exposure to those worlds that they may not have even known about. Yeah. And I will say, I don't think I would have known about that world hadn't my aunt gone to the same school that I went to, Michigan State University Fisheries and Wildlife. She had her undergrad there and she worked for the Forest Service. And so I knew that she did that kind of thing. So I knew it was a career that you could go into. She actually went in the forestry side, but you know, it's all related. And she made me aware of that even just through knowing what she was doing for her career. What a blessing. So Obviously, you're in something similar now. So I'm curious about how that career aspiration evolved over time. What were some of the major milestones in your journey? Yeah. So early on in my kind of time in high school, I always liked science. So I started there, but I was you know, really into music, also into hockey and other extracurricular stuff. But I would say that so going into college, I was deciding between trying to be a band teacher and trying to be a biology conservation ecology direction. And, and it was always kind of leaned towards that. And that's what I did. And it was a better fit. I liked science, was fine at math and fine at reading and these other things. So that kind of led me towards that direction. What I didn't know was much about the environmental crisis and how passionate I would become about that. I knew that I loved nature and that I loved fishing and hunting and being outdoors, canoeing, all of that, gardening. But I didn't realize that those things can be part of a holistic way of living that helps you reduce your environmental impact and that there's careers to help others do the same. So that was what I kind of discovered freshman year at Calvin College, now Calvin University, where I went. And, you know, in biology, you, you learn about biology 101, or it was 123. We read a few different books. One of them was called Heat Stroke. And that was about climate change and its impact on ecosystems and also kind of outlines the environmental crisis. I think, you know, talks about the six major components of the environmental crisis and how climate change relates to that. And that opened my eyes. And then we also read a book by Michael Pollan in Defense of Food. And that book opened my eyes to the challenges we have in the food system and, and related to health and sustainability. And that became, you know, it connected closely with my interests but became a passion of mine. And this actually more the area in, that I'm in now. So I think that exposure through that and other courses that first year at Calvin in the biology degree, especially really helped me to become more interested and kind of passionate about trying to do something about the environmental crisis. Just, I think that was all rooted in a love for nature. Yeah. So Joel, you went to Calvin. What was next? What came after graduation and how did you figure out that next step? Yeah, I guess I should say I had this other interest at Calvin as well that led into that next step. So I'll start there. When I was growing up, I grew up in a faith community and there was a really big emphasis on making a difference. And it's the Christian reform perspective so that everything matters, basically. And I really took that to heart. And I was really also interested in Spanish and international culture and international development as a field. So I actually double majored in that with biology. And, you know, with the idea that, well, maybe I, this is a global crisis, maybe I can merge those interests and do something beyond my own 
home turf. Um, and studying abroad in Honduras really helped me to do that. It was called the justice semester, the semester where there you go and you learn about community development abroad and, and all these organizations doing different things and have an internship. I ended up in the rainforest for my internship doing uh, camera trapping work, which was pretty cool, looking at wildlife in a national park. Uh, so there was a lot to that semester and a lot to that experience and the whole international development program that really shaped the direction I went. But my core interest was always conservation and biology and motivated by a love for nature, but trying to apply that towards social issues as well and kind of that in between. So that's, I guess, what led me towards my next steps is that a confluence of ideas and learning. So what were my next steps? Well, I really just wanted to get a job and see some more of the world, but try to do something that was applied in conservation and build experience. I did three summers of research in undergrad, had good connections through Calvin, through the university, and had good, good enough grades to be considered for those, which was great. I did an extra semester to finish the double major. And after that, had kind of a semester left in my lease. And I was like, what should I do? And I basically reached out to all the people I'd met during that time at Calvin and asked if they had any work for me and ended up doing four internships and one kind of research sort of position all at once, each like 10 to 20 hours a week on and off at different times for like small stipends. And it wow. was really interesting and fun. Some weeks were too much, some weeks were not. It just depended on what was going on. One of the coolest ones was the Teach for the Watershed internship with West Michigan Environmental Action Council, which was a more formal role in that I was going out to schools, teaching kids about watershed science and leading with like interactive in class activities and then helping lead field trips, getting kids out in the streams, looking at aquatic insects, learning invasive plants, journaling about it, a number of different things. So that was pretty cool. And, and at the same time, I was also supporting Plash Creek Stewards River Restoration Projects 20 hours a week, mainly at that point in the you know February, March, working in their greenhouse, cultivating native plants, but also going to some schools and doing presentations and bringing student groups out, things like that. And that kind of ramped up in the spring as well. So most of it was focused on rivers and outreach and education. And then I also was an intern for the MICA Center, which is a more justice-focused organization in town. So those are the main things. But I'm not going to say that I had one job, but I think that those were, that was my first semester out of undergrad. And I compiled a mix of things that I was given opportunities, you know, through connections that were formed through relationships in undergrad to make that work. Now, Joel, what came after that extra semester of all these internships? Yeah, I applied for fisheries positions because I was interested in that and then going into, you know, stream conservation, river restoration, those kinds of things. And I applied kind of all over and using actually a, ref a resource I wanted to mention, which is the Texas A&M Conservation Job Board. That's a really good resource. So many jobs in our field in conservation, ecology, grad positions, too, are posted out there. So I applied to probably 20 of them at, at least, got one had maybe four interviews, you know, like it's, it was a grind, but you keep applying for stuff. You know, you have your references, hopefully from professors or these internships, right? That helps. But ultimately, I uh, was chosen for a job, which I was really excited about up in Alaska. There's a lot of summer seasonal technician jobs up there for fisheries, because fisheries is a big part of the economy. So we we're doing salmon habitat assessments on a military base just outside of Anchorage. 
So I was living in Anchorage, moved up there, and uh, was doing stream habitat assessments and then some electrofishing as well of like actually trying to catch salmon in these rivers. So that was pretty cool. It was a field job. We were out every day, 10 hours, four days a week, and sometimes five days a week sampling streams in these kind of remote areas just north of Anchorage. So that was a pretty exciting opportunity. I learned a lot of good stream ecology protocols and fish habitat assessments through that. And then applied for a bunch more jobs starting in November because that's only six months. A lot of these seasonal jobs, you know, they might pay fine, but they're not permanent. So I started applying for stuff again kind of that fall and ended up getting an internship with the Forest Service in Puerto Rico, which was really exciting because I'd been really interested in Latin America, like I mentioned, and the tropics and tropical biology and conservation. So this was more of a career building opportunity. I had some savings from the summer and was able to basically break even through the internship, living there and living in, you know, with other interns at the long-term metrological research station in Puerto Rico. So Joel, I have a bit of a sidestep question. After undergrad, what inspired you to pursue jobs over, say, a grad program? What led you to make that decision at that time? I felt like I could be ready for grad school, but I didn't want to just go and continue doing school. I wanted to see what the job force was like and working out in the world and making some more money to build savings a little bit, you know, I thought was smart. So, and then also, you know, you're so free at that time. Oftentimes I wasn't in a long-term serious relationship at the time, you know, that helps. So I had the freedom to kind of travel and my parents probably, and other mentors encouraged me to do that too. But it was something that, you know, I studied abroad. I traveled during undergrad some as much as I could. I was excited to to do more of that. And I just love nature and I love to get to know new places. You know, the Great Lakes are my home, but every place is so unique and so fascinating to learn about. And I had the skill set at that point to learn more, you know, know how to start identifying plants and learn the birds and then the fish of different areas. So I was just excited to keep learning. And I think that's probably what drove that and to experience new things and to build experience. And I thought if I need to build experience in my field, I might as well try it somewhere else. I think you bring up such a great point, Joel, in that that's a period of your life where we tend to have the most freedom and flexibility. You're not geographically restricted, typically. And that's a hot topic right now about taking gap years. Yeah. Gap years, meaning you intend to go back to school, but you want to experience the workforce first. Did you have that thought in your mind that you would go back to grad school at some point? It wasn't a plan. It was a possibility. I liked school. And I did research in undergrad, so I had that route as a possibility in my mind. But it was never necessarily the goal. You know, at that point, I was still really, you know, interested in potentially trying to get into the DNR. And there's other routes to do that. You know, you can do summer seasonal positions for a number of years and work your way into these full-time positions. And that may be even a better route in some cases than grad school. I think you can also do that after a master's in some cases. Ideally, you can land a full-time job, but I think it really... It's about building that, that experience. So I was trying to do that, see what that was like. But ultimately, you know, I didn't plan to go back to grad school necessarily that year, but I was thinking in sometime in the next three years, I probably would. Yeah. And as I know, you ultimately went back to grad school. So the timing of that, what led you back to grad school at that point in your career? Yeah. So I'd known that I wanted to potentially go back to grad school. So I set myself up to take the GRE in Alaska towards the end when it was getting like 
to be cold in winter and there was a little bit less to do. But did that in like late October up there. So that opened that possibility. And then at that point, I started to reach out to a bunch of potential advisors, people who I was, whose work I was interested in at schools I was interested in. But it really wasn't until I talked to my mentor from undergrad that a possibility that was really had a lot of promise and that I had a connection to came up. And it was kind of interesting. So one of the professors I had, Dave Warners, he had gone to grad school with Jerry Urquhart, who is a professor that does work in Nicaragua and is in the Fish and Wildlife Department and Lyman Briggs were. So that possibility opened up through two means. I was interested in working at MSU for grad school because it was relatively close to home and it has a great department and stuff I was interested in. And, you know, I asked Professor Warners and he said, oh, yeah, I, I know this Dr. Urquhart and I actually met him at Calvin because he came to give a talk. So I reached out to see if there was any possibilities of funding or projects. And he mentioned a few ideas that he had, but that funding wasn't necessarily sure. And then serendipitously, while I was in Puerto Rico, one of the people he was writing a paper with was there to present with us. And I talked with him a lot and I mentioned my aspirations. And he said, oh, you should meet Derry Urquhart. I was like, but it's not a certain thing. And so he reached out and said, you should work with this guy to Jerry. And then I got another email back and we actually were able to find, you know, funding and it took another nudge and, you know, having already known someone that he knew, I think it's hard to say whether or not I could have gotten in somewhere else. I think that's a interesting, I guess, serendipitous way that, that this came about. And I hadn't been planning to go back necessarily that fall. I thought that moment had kind of passed because you know, grad school applications are often sometime early in the year. And it was kind of at that point, but it came about that that was possible and I didn't have my next step set yet. So I decided to do that. Awesome. And I want to take a moment for you to share some of your research briefly. I know we get excited and passionate, but just briefly. And because I know you did a lot of work outside of the United States, what that experience was like, because I know some of our listeners are entertaining some research abroad as well. Sure. Yeah. In brief, I was really interested in rainforest conservation as a really important key issue globally in terms of climate change and biodiversity loss, things that you learn about in class, but also wanted to keep my river focus because that's that's kind of my passion and has has been a thread throughout my you know entire life, fish and rivers. So Dr. Eckhart had connections down there from long-term research with community members in the Rama and Creole indigenous and Afro-descendant communities. He had grad students, a grad student working down there at the time with those communities. So basically went with that question, how could someone with those interests benefit the work that they were doing in conservation with some of the local partners on the ground and some of the community members on the ground? So I had a trip to do that, talk with people. And what came about from that was three things. The one I ended up going with was trying to understand how illegal cattle ranching was affecting water quality and fisheries in some rivers in a remote national park where some of the indigenous and Creole communities live and rely on the fishery. So that was the project. And it was really a fun, interesting project. Lots of field work, you know, a couple weeks up river, pretty remote, but ultimately really rewarding experience. And got to work with a lot of really interesting local students from the communities and local professors and community members and stay out there. And then spending, you know, six months in, in Costa Rica afterwards processing the data and processing the macroinvertebrate samples was the other big part of that. So it was about a year and a half of work abroad and then a year and a half at Michigan State between classes and teaching and everything. 
I mean, so incredible. And I know some of the backstory as well about, you know, some of the safety issues and you getting sent back to the U.S. And then also some of the challenges with navigating governmental policies on farming and then the farmers themselves and other stakeholders, like as is true for most conservation projects, there's a lot of voices. And so I think navigating all that is a special skill. And I encourage everyone listening, reach out to Joel and learn more about how to navigate that because he's a professional. Oh, thanks. And I had a lot of help. I wouldn't have gone and done a project like that without, you know, contacts who had been working there for a long time, like Professor Urquhart and his student, Chris Jordan, and, you know, the community that they had formed of people doing this kind of work and the people they partnered with who were already doing a lot of work down there. So yeah, that's a huge part of it. And that's ultimately for anyone what is needed. I don't think anyone should go somewhere and just like start doing work. They, you should find who's doing work and try to partner. Yeah, agreed. I mean, that's how science works now, right? It's all in collaboration. It doesn't occur in a silo. Mm -hmm. So perfect illustration. So Joel, just to fast forward a bit, when you graduated from your grad program. Can you tell us how you navigated back into the workforce? Like, how did you discover that first job opportunity post-grad graduation? Well, the first thing I did was actually kind of continue the projects I was working on with, some, with one of the partners, Global Wildlife Conservation, a nonprofit. I did that because I was really excited to continue kind of the momentum. It takes a long time to build those relationships. I felt like I was just getting started through that grad project you know, and, and wanted to do more applied conservation work, not just research, and also get the results from our studies out there. We had another study as well. So to try and trying to get those out there and talk with people and see what can be done to, to protect some of these areas. Uh, so I did that for a year or so, maybe not quite a year with global wildlife conservation. When that was just grant funded, kind of contractual, they would send me different things. I did a lot of grant writing for them. I went down on a couple trips, got to present the work we did was involved in a couple different projects they had going on, mainly when there was need for someone of writing skills and reporting skills. So the stuff I was doing from home was more that side. Uh, and the stuff that I got to do down when I was there was related more to the research and building partnerships with the cattle industry as well to try to understand or to try to help, you know, promote sustainable ranching and, and reduce illegal ranching. That was a big part of that project. So that was the first job right out of school. And that contract that was grant funded, it was tied to funding and it kind of was running out around March of 2020, which is an interesting time because we all kind of remember that month is when COVID oh, hit. Yeah. So international work continuing that, even though the grant was running out, it might have been possible that became not possible. So I took a pivot in my career. We had moved to Massachusetts to support my wife's grad school girlfriend at the time. So that year I had been mostly in Massachusetts. And I applied to work with a conservation district in Massachusetts. And that's the kind of work I've been in since. So it's been about three years with conservation districts. And I can talk more about that if you'd like. Yeah. Can you tell us a little more detail on that position in particular about what the application process was like, what the hiring process was like, what kind of things were appealing to them in your resume? Sure. So... A lot of people don't know that every county in the U.S., for the most part, has conservation staff through their conservation districts. Not every county exactly, but for the most part, the U.S. is divided into service areas by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. 
to support local farmers and forest landowners, really local landowners in doing conservation on their land. And I wasn't as aware of that either until I saw some saw this position. I thought, wow, that sounds cool. I wonder what that's like. And it opened a whole new world to me of conservation on the ground, really applied work. I think that my background in Latin America was less, you know, it was interesting, but not as applicable to that staff there who was hiring me. But having a grad degree focused on watershed science and, you know, outreach and teaching experience for my undergrad from those internships, restoration experience through the you know, with, with Plaster Creek stewards at Calvin. I think some of those things honestly appealed to them more than all of that grad work that I had done. But having, you know, grad work looking at impacts of agriculture on water quality, in that case, cattle, um, that's directly related to the work that I am doing and did there just in a different geographical context and cultural context. So that was also appealing. Um, having grant writing skills, you know, was a big part too. They wanted help with their grants. And so that that goes a long ways. I think, you know, focusing on writing during college is part of part of that. Building those skills is, is invaluable for any organization. So yeah, I think, you know, between those things, I think that that is a big a big part of it. And it was not the kind of position that someone with a master's usually applies for either. So I'm not gonna say it was overqualified for it. But it was more, I, I think that they were happy with the experience I had had even before the less relevant masters to it, if it makes sense. Yeah, it does. And so you talked about some of those transferable skills and the context. So you do some grant writing in your current role. What other responsibilities do you have? Yeah. So my current role is a little different than my role in Massachusetts, but both were with conservation districts. So I'll focus on my current role, which is with Kent Conservation District in Michigan. We moved here a year ago back home. And my current role is to work with farmers to help them address resource concerns on their farm. So resource concern is the U.S. Department of Agriculture's kind of lingo for environmental problems on the farm. So things like soil erosion, or, you know, risk of contamination from pesticides, energy inefficiencies, runoff issues, nutrient pollution to waterways, manure management, and how manure might impact water if it overflowed, or if it mixed with the wrong thing, or if it was applied on frozen ground, things like that. There's a lot of science showing how these different agricultural practices can impact water quality, in particular, and groundwater, as well as soil health practices. So like, promoting reduced tillage or promoting cover crops as a way to keep soil in place and build soil health. So my role is to work with farmers and forest landowners to help them adopt those practices. And the two ways that that's done, one is through the Michigan Agriculture Environmental Assurance Program, which is an environmental verification program. That's the majority of my job is working through a checklist uh, relevant to the farm type, whether it's livestock or crops or vegetables or greenhouse. Uh, and we run them through a bunch of questions and figure out if they're in high risk or low risk categories related to that question. If they're in high risk, that goes to an action plan. The action plan says, this is what you need to do to get your farm in low risk for all these categories. And then once you're in low risk for all the categories, you can get meat verified. So verified through this program. And it shows that your farm's doing good environmental practices. It's all voluntary. It's not regulatory at all, but it's just a technical assistance program. So I go out to farms and kind of work through 
these checklists and create action plans for them and how they can improve their environmental practices to reach this certification. I um, mean, it's a state certification. It's through the Michigan Department of Agriculture. And the other side is that there's funding available through the U.S. Department of Agriculture. So the federal funding that's available is to support some of these practices that have that cost money to fix. Uh, and so we can administer grants or really cost share for producers who want to adopt conservation practices like reduce tillage or cover crops or put in a better agrochemical storage facility so there's not risk of polluting groundwater, for example. So there's a whole list. There's about 100 practices that can be funded, so I won't go through all of them. But it's a pretty cool program, and it exists everywhere in the U.S., which I think is great. The verification is Michigan only, the certification program, and that's pretty cool that Michigan has that. Not everyone does. Yeah, I mean, this is so cool. Especially a lot of students thinking about conservation don't even know that this type of job exists, right? And I'm sure back right. in your seven-year-old, 10-year-old self, you had no idea. So it's kind of interesting. Did you stumble across it on job boards or did you hear about the option through your education or other experiences? No, this one, I had been looking for work because I knew that our contract was ending for the work abroad. I had been looking for local work for a few months and applied to a number of jobs, probably about 10, five to 10 jobs during that time. And this was one of them. And I found it on LinkedIn. I was looking on Indeed as well. And then, you know, a few other job boards, but trying to stay local because that's where we were or be able to do remote work, you know, in, in kind of global conservation efforts. Uh, so those are the two things that I was applying to. So that's how I found it. It was close to where we lived and it looked impactful and important and that and motivating to me because I wanted to, I didn't want to end up, you know, in the consulting world as much, for example, doing wetland assessments for wetlands that were going to be destroyed. And I know that that can pay a lot better, but that's not my motivation. I'd rather live frugally and be motivated by the work I'm doing than using my skill set for something that I don't think is doing good in the world. So that's kind of, I guess, something that I have taken through this as well. What a beautiful plug that is for how I approach coaching clients in their career exploration and job search. Because it's not just about finding something that check, 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 you have those skills and experiences, you have to make sure your values align with theirs, and the missions align with what's important to you. So I really do appreciate you sharing that. Thanks. Now, I'd like to talk a little bit about the things you love about your job and the things that are less appealing. So you've shared a little bit about how what you're doing is on the ground. It feels impactful. And I'm sure that's part of what you like. Anything else that you want to add about mm -hmm. what you enjoy most about your work? Yeah, I would say I really like the fact that it's varied day to day. Yesterday, I was at a vertical growing operation indoor you know, with herbs and lettuce that they were, had this really high tech system that they were growing things with. And two weeks ago, I was on a beef farm that's rotating pasture and, you know, hardly uses electricity, right? So it's, there's so much variety in terms of the landscapes and the clients that I get to work with. Um, and that's part of what I love about it too, is I get to meet all these really interesting people and learn how they run their farm, how they grow things, what they're thinking about, what they're not thinking about. It helps me understand farming, which is an interest of mine, but more so helps me understand the decisions people make that affect the sustainability on the farm and the challenges to that. And then together, we work together to try to address those challenges. So I find that, you know, that side meaningful too, but just the relational side of it, getting out and about, you know, probably two or three site visits a week. So I'm probably out 
nine to 10 hours in the field a week out of my 40. A lot of it is pushing paperwork uh, and doing, you know, database work and maps and different things like that. So uh, it's not just, you know, I'm going out and farms and that's all it is. There's, there's always that other side to it, which is honestly, it'd be too tiring if it, if it was. So I think it's, it's a good balance and that's what I like. And just today I was with a bunch of high school students wrapping trees for our tree sale. So that's, you know, to have a job that's in a smaller organization like the conservation district, you can help out and play different roles beyond just your role, which I, I find really appealing. Yeah, that's really neat too. And hello, biologists who are social butterflies and outgoing. You don't have to work in a lab all by yourself. Here's a perfect example of a career where you get to interact with people and clients and things like that. Yeah, for sure. And there's work like that in the private sector too, which I think a lot of which people like that will, you know, go towards as well. So Joel, no job is perfect. We don't love everything about all we do. So is there anything that maybe is less appealing about the work that you do? Sure. The hard side of the, you know, getting out and about and meeting all sorts of different people is that sometimes, you know, people are not always excited to have you there, right? Or they identify you as part of the government and your regulatory and and come out kind of fighting from the start. I haven't had that as much in this role, which is great, but I speak kind of in this field of government work, people who do have, you know, a role as a regulator often don't get as positive of interactions. On the edge of that, I help make people aware of laws sometimes, but I'm not someone to even bring about any sort of regulatory consequence. So I would say that that walking that line and figuring out how to have those conversations can be really tough and really challenging and anxiety producing sometimes. I haven't had that as much in my current role, but it does come up. And I know others who who have. And so that's that's just a challenge. Yeah. And I would say even if you stayed in that dream of fisheries biologist for the DNR, they get flagged as, oh, you're a conservation officer that's going to give me a ticket for catching a fish under size, mm-hmm. ex- except they don't do that. Right. They have no legal jurisdiction to do such a thing. Right. So, yeah. And so that kind of thing happens a lot. If you're with the government, you assume to be, you know, a threat to people. So I think that that is something you just have to deal with in this field. But I'm also, you know, very supportive of government regulation in terms of environmental use, especially with whether it's fisheries or, you know, laws that protect water quality. And that's part of our role is to, to educate people about that because we think they're valuable. Right. So, yeah, I think it's just a fine line and it's I like it, but it's hard to navigate sometimes. And then the other thing I would say is that the job is it's good, but there are boring times for sure where you're just plugging numbers and into a database. We have to do inventory of all the animals and, and acres and all that on every farm and create sensitive area maps, which takes a lot of time, look over soil tests, identify phosphorus hotspots and, and you know other sensitive areas, and create an emergency management plan with the farm. It's just a lot of phone numbers and things like that, maps. Um, I don't mind that work. I like it better than a lot of other work, but still it gets boring sometimes, especially when it's three in the afternoon. So. There's always that side of it, but you know, I, I'm happy that I that I'm not only doing that, not just crunching numbers and you know. It sounds like variety is the spice of life, right? If you were only doing one or the other, it wouldn't be as appealing of a job as it is. I, I think so. It's been a great window into a world and of conservation locally, and I think an impactful way to spend time. So you know, it's a good fit in that way. 
Wonderful. So Joel, you mentioned earlier in our conversation, a couple classes that were influential. So I'm curious, what class or classes did you find most valuable for your current position? Yeah. One is a class that I didn't have, which is soil science. If you want to do anything related to agriculture, or even if you, you don't, you should take soil science. So it was a really important. We kind of forget that. Actually, to even qualify for these positions, you need to have a soil science class, which is often what limits people from getting these jobs. So if you want to work for local government in a conservation role, take soil science. And NRCS, that branch of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, would be really happy that I said that I'm here because <laughs> they have to say no to a lot of really good applicants for that reason. I was able to actually get my geomorphology class to count because it has a soils component. And then I also had some experience doing soil stuff. So they counted that. But that was... Um, I had research experience that had a soils component. So they, they were able to kind of swing that, but that's, that's an exception, not the norm. But geomorphology, you know, a third of that class is soils. If I hadn't had that, that wouldn't, that, that wouldn't have gone by. So yeah, take that, that class. I think, you know, mapping GIS, super helpful, comes up in every job, comes up in every interview. You have GIS skills. Oh, great. You'll use those here. <laughs> like that's just. In natural resources, that's a skill set you need to have. You know, basic understanding of the research and being able to access the, the literature to, to look into what's known about something, I think that's a super valuable skill set. So having a research methods course, at least knowing how to access and read the primary literature, secondary literature, knowing the difference between what a good source is and a bad source, to be able to filter through information, because we're asked to kind of translate that to the public. We're communicating that science, whether or not we are doing it. And so I find that really helpful. And being able to just put together a, a quick literature search re and literature review for people. You know, if you're working for Extension, which is another outreach position in almost every area in the country, you're doing a lot of that. My job often will look for Extension articles or try to, you know, create some of that content as well um, for farmers or, or forest landowners. So those, I would say, probably the most tangible, but I think you know, taking classes that give you that broad understanding of the issues and why they matter will motivate you throughout your whole career. So for me, taking, you know, classes in global environmental issues and in ecology and climate change, these things, you know, it's all the stuff I'm doing now is ideally working towards addressing those issues. But having that, you know, as a foundational understanding to be able to connect back to things, connect back to the daily work is, is really motivating. For me, and in whatever field you're in, I think that that can be true. There's theoretical classes or there's core content classes that are really important and give you the background you need to really understand why your work matters. And for me, that's the crux of it. That's why I like to work, you know, is because it has an impact somehow. Yeah. And I think what's cool too is the idea that students often overlook their prereqs and they're like, I just want to get to that upper level thing that I'm really interested in. Here's some support for no, no. I mean, pay attention in your prereqs because it gives you a broader foundation and understanding that's going to be very supportive moving forward in your career. And so I think that's, and I'm maybe a little biased because I taught a lot of introductory biology in my career, but. Right. And I'm biased because I went to a liberal arts undergrad where we had way more prereqs than other places at a cost of not having quite as much otherwise. But I, ultimately think there's lots of time for learning. And that foundational stuff is really important, you know, 
Like I had, I was required to take a year of language. Well, now I speak Spanish. I wouldn't have probably if I didn't go to Calvin because I wouldn't have necessarily kept going that route. I would have prioritized other things in my field. So that's, I think, valuable is to, to consider you're still young. You don't have to specialize right away. There's time for that. And how serendipitous all the pieces of your journey, you know, who knew that knowing Spanish would be as relevant as it was based on this is the research that you did in grad school that really required a strong Spanish foundation. And so I think it's just so cool. And then the network you had that someone in Puerto Rico further encouraged you to work with Jerry Urquhart. I just think that's so cool on how all these little puzzle pieces fit together without us even orchestrating it, at least consciously. For sure. And I think things go different directions. And my dad always said this is like, you should walk through the doors that's open to you. There might have been a whole hallway worth of doors, but you just you can go through the open door and then see what the next door is. And I like that analogy a lot. Because I think it's, it's like, it's not like I had this set path that was determined or predestined by God, despite what some people from the faith tradition that I came from might think. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I think like you walk through a door and another door opens and then you walk through a door, maybe another door is closed and you go back out and go through another area. Like there's a lot of different routes you can take. Um, and some of them, you know, if you're kind of actively pursuing like I said, I applied for dozens of jobs during that period. It's not like there was just this job that came up that I got. And I think the same. I, I reached out to 10 or so professors. One was Jerry. This guy knew Jerry and it worked out, you know? So it's it's just kind of uh, you try to look around and then and see where you end up um, and the doors can open and some doors close. And listeners, rewind a little bit and listen to that again, because those of you that are about to graduate and don't have like your whole life figured out yet, it's okay. Know your next step. That's all. Know your next step. What door are you walking through yeah. first? And I think that's hopefully really encouraging and reduces some of that anxiety. And people mean well when they ask you, what do you want to do for your career the rest of your life? But it's okay to not know that yet. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm still doing that. I mean, I we moved back here because my wife got a good job opportunity. And I think focusing on her career at this stage was more important than what my next step was. So, you know, I taught adjunct for a semester and then this job opened up. And so I applied there and walked through that door. But it wasn't like I like it was a plan, you know, and I'm still hoping to teach long term um, as a professor. But that means trying to figure out how to do a Ph.D. sometime in the next 10 years. Um, and I don't know what that's going to be yet. But I think walking around the hallway, per se, if we're going with that analogy, talking to different people, trying to see what's out there, and walking through that door when it opens, or if it opens, I'm fine with that uncertainty. A book that was really influential to me was Brene Brown's Braving the Wilderness. And I really like that analogy, too. I think that our career journey is like a wilderness in that way. And we need to brave that wilderness to be able to really come into our full selves. You know, we can't just follow some specific path. You kind of just have to see where it leads and be willing to be different and be willing to kind of put yourself out there. And I think that's where we can find some of the most belonging, which is what her kind of book is about. And what a good segue too, because she's such a leader and that 
type of like leadership development, some career advice. It leads into our next question, which is what difference do you think a science career coach could have made in your career journey or your experience? I think having a specific career coach, I think it would could play a similar role. Someone to bounce ideas off of, someone to ask questions to, someone just to process things with and try to think about your next steps and then guide you towards resources to be healthier and happier in that realm of your life. I mean, I think that that would be great. And I don't know that professors, unless they're a certain kind of professor, play that role because that's not really what their training is. So I'm sure it would have been helpful to have that. And Joel, what's really unique about your experience too is it sounds like you had mentors, particularly in undergrad, that supported a quote-unquote non-traditional route in terms of going into a government job or an industry job or something like that versus academia, which is what they're trained in and what they know and understand. And so, for example, a lot mm-hmm. of grad students come to me feeling like they don't have as much support if they want to be outside of academia in their career, because, you know, those mentors just don't know that world as well. And so it sounds like you were blessed with some people that really had some knowledge or at least encouraged you to explore that option. Yeah, I think so. I think I did feel that graduating, like, man, I know this, like, I, I maybe I want to be a professor. The people who really influenced my life are that, you know, and it's worked great for them. But I think they had enough real world experience to just be able to say that, well, there's this job and that job and, and these other opportunities out there to do that kind of work. And the majority of you, of you aren't going to stay in academia. And I think that's a benefit of a school that doesn't have a grad school as well. Calvin, you know, the end of undergrad is the end. So everyone is ultimately leaving either to a different school to go to grad school or to the workforce. And I bet the majority of students go into the workforce. So at least right away. So I think that's a unique thing about going to a school that's that's just has undergrad, you know, that that might have felt different had I gone to Michigan State or U of M and gotten involved in the lab in undergrad. I probably would have kept doing that. So, yeah, I think that that's uh, that's important. And I think one thing I would say with that as well is that I I, I still do want to be a professor. I don't, I've kind of come back towards that. But part of my reason for going the route I've gone and non-traditional is that I think the best professors I had in an applied field like natural resources are the ones who have real world experience in the field and know what that looks like. And so that's what I'm trying to gain so that I can be a better career advisor to students. Because a big part of being a professor is helping people know what, what could be available to them. It's you know a very, very small percentage that stay in academia. I may or may not. If I'm gonna be a professor, and I guess I am right now, I teach adjunct one class, like that's the kind of professor I wanna be, someone who's connected, not is not disconnected. And I think there's roles for both and it depends on the content. But for something that's really applied, like conservation work, I think it's really important to have that experience or at least connections to people who are in that field and actively cultivate those relationships. There's something about the authenticity and the examples a professor like that brings into the classroom. So I certainly agree. Yeah, it depends okay. on the field. Yeah. So Joel, do you have any last words of advice for our listeners, which again, are students and early career professionals who might be considering this type of job? Yeah. If you want to end up in, you know, local conservation work, whether it's a conservation district, county, city, that kind of thing, I would say, you know, if you're an undergrad or just after, if an undergrad, try to build those skill sets that are required for these jobs, take the courses like 
you know, the different science backgrounds that you would need, soil science, ecology, plant science, whatever it is, if it's fisheries, take those courses, right? And then mapping and statistics, research methods, and then the broader content courses. I think those are all skills. You can't do all of them, but choose which ones you like and go for it. Like you can't go really in depth in stats and maps unless you're only doing that and also be a field biologist. Like there's just so many things, only so many things you can do. But I would say try to, you know, get good at something and market yourself that way. And that can be a door into a position that then you can build those other skill sets in. So mine was field biology more than anything, plant and animal identification and field methods. That's what I loved. So that's what I kind of focused on. And that worked for me. And then grad school, I was able to hone in some some of those other technical skills like mapping and stats. So yeah, I, I would say focus on those. And then the other piece of advice is not related to skills and career building as much as it is like self-care. I think be okay to settle for less and don't beat yourself up if you don't get the ideal position or if you don't get a position, if you have to work a different job just to get by or to pay off your loans, like don't beat yourself up about it. You know, that's part of life, but don't give up either if you have an ambition, you know, try to keep connecting with people and get involved in civic activities that relate to your field. So you stay on it and stay passionate about it as much as like people I've, you know, known throughout the years that used to be really passionate about this work and want to do it. And if now doing something that they just it's fine, but not something that they really like doing. So don't give up either. Read books that, you know, keep you interested. Or if you go a different direction, that's that's fine too. But try to feed that whatever it is that gives you f- fulfillment. Try to feed that sense of fulfillment, but don't beat yourself up if you can't do it through your work. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Joel. If you want to hear more from Joel, you can just go to patreon.com slash diverse roots and become a patron for this podcast. Doing so will get you access to the extended video interview, additional resources, and an opportunity to set up a very unique informational interview with Joel. In the extended interview, Joel talks about how the political unrest in Nicaragua could have been the end to his graduate work, but wasn't thanks to some quick and creative thinking. He also shares his experience navigating personal and professional goals simultaneously, and so much more. Definitely worth a listen. Joel was fortunate to have some incredibly supportive and informed mentors throughout his education. But if you are feeling alone or a little lost in your academic or career journey, I'm here to help. As a certified professional career coach, former college professor, and active researcher, I've been where you are, I know what's ahead, and I can be a support to you on your journey. So reach out by scheduling your free 30-minute inquiry session at successinsciencecc.com. I look forward to meeting you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Diverse Roots. Never forget your career journey is as unique as you are. Stay true to your values and journey on. And know that you don't have to journey alone. If you're overwhelmed by career options or feel like your applications are getting overlooked, Success in Science Career Coaching is here to help. Schedule your free inquiry session today at successinsciencecc.com. Until next time, bye-bye.